Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who never gives me his money. He only gives me his funny papers. And he will hold you in his armchair. You can feel his disease. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I'm So for this episode, we have not one, but two special guests from the band, The Alternate Roots. Please welcome to the podcast, Tim Warren and Eric Donnelly. Thanks, Ben. Hello. Hello. And Wayne. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) So the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all-important question, what t-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Wayne. What t-shirt are you wearing? I'm that guy. I actually have a Beatles Abbey Road album cover t-shirt, so I have to like I had to wear it. Okay. How about you, Tim? What t-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing a gray t-shirt that looks a lot like the Army logo, but the letters on the shirt are A-R-W-B. Um, and I don't know if other guys in bands do this, Um but we have a lot of extra merch that didn't sell, and uh, <laughs> and I've been in a I've been in a period of life where, you know, there's not a lot of the days are the same, <laughs> over and over. So uh, I got a band T-shirt that I sh- from a tour we did with a band called Red Wanting Blue, who is also the reason we're doing this podcast. Um, yes. So anyway, shout out to Red Wanting Blue, and uh, that's what I'm wearing. Perfect. How about you, Eric? What uh, what T-shirt are you wearing? You're gonna think I'm lying, but uh, <laughs> and, and we are in quarantine, so Tim and I haven't seen each other for a while. I'm wearing the same exact T-shirt, <laughs> and that so was uh, it. Was funny because like midway through the day, um, I was uh, I had this shirt on, and uh, you know I, I never wear. Um, you know, alternate roots shirts. Uh, there's a movie that I loved when I was in college called uh, "Can't Hardly Wait." Any of you guys see that movie? Um, oh yeah, yeah. But there's like there's the big scene in the um, in the movie where there's like the band. I believe they were called Love Burger. Um, and one of the guys was wearing the shirt of the band he's in, and you know the joke was like, "You can't wear the shirt of the band you're in." So that that always stuck with me. So I've never ever done it. But this uh, ARWB shirt's the only one that uh, I've ever found myself wearing. Um, and you know, I think kind of cause it's like a novelty shirt. So, and it's really comfortable. So I'll, uh, and as Tim said, we have a lot of them, so I'll wear this shirt. So midway through the day, I was like, I'm just going to leave this one on. Um, <laughs> and I said, I bet you any amount of money, Tim's wearing the same exact shirt. <laughs> so, so it sounds like Wayne that we need to buy a couple, uh, alternate root shirts to take some, some merch off their hands. Oh, oh you guys don't have like- to buy them. <laughs> Yeah, no. No. Uh, we'll just give them to you. This was not a sales pitch. That was just the state of affairs right now. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Well, um, so I'm wearing a uh, carbon leaf shirt. Uh, since the first first time I saw you guys earlier this year was when you all opened for Carbon Leaf. And you guys in Red Wanting Blue and Carbon Leaf, you guys all seem pretty tight. Uh, jam towards the end of the show with all you guys on stage was pretty cool. I think it was um, it was Let Your Troubles Go By, and I'm trying to think there was another song that you guys did as well, right? Uh, there was a couple we were doing on that run. Um, it was definitely Troubles, and um, 
What would the other one have been? I, I don't think we did it that night. I think we just came up for Troubles, and I can't remember what the song before the the encore was because we were we're always in the back. <laughs> yeah. The song before we come out, and so we were hiding. I can't. It was it was faint because the dressing room was far away, so I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I I, th- I thought there were two songs that you guys came came out with uh, with the band, but um, but Barry Barry's on my crap list, so I don't, I haven't worn the shirt for a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Wayne, I don't know if I've publicly talked about how why Barry is on my crap list, have I? <laughs> No, just just I've just had to, to deal with it. So I know, I know. My 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 carbon leaf concert buddy Eric has been egging me on to to go public with with my grievances towards Barry, but oh, I haven't no. I haven't I haven't done it yet. So uh, Barry Barry and Terry were supposed to come on an episode with me uh, last year, and uh, the night of the recording, Terry shows up for the recording, and but Barry's. Um, Barry's at dinner with some friends. Oh. And so, uh, so it ends up just being me and Terry and it was great. I mean, I, I love Terry. We had a good time talking about, uh, uh, Indian summer, but you know, I'm, I'm a lyric guy. So every time I would ask, so what does this lyric mean, Terry? And he'd be like, um, yeah, Barry needs to be the guy to answer <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terry, you missed your moment, Terry. Come on, buddy. <laughs> Just make something up. I know he should have. He should have just pulled some stuff out. And but he, you know, he was he was trying to give Barry his kudos because you know Barry's the lyric guy. And uh, the the whole night, the whole night, uh, my buddy Eric. So Eric and I have seen Carbon Leaf. I think that night that I saw you guys was like our seventh time, eighth time. Um, And uh, I kept telling, I kept telling. Uh, Eric, I'm like, um, I'm not here for carbon leaf. I'm here for red wanting blue and alternate roots. And he was getting, he was getting like really pissed off. Cause I kept saying that. Whatever. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that you guys were a referral from, from Scott Terry. That's right. Red wanting blue. My man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm glad we were able to do this. You guys have uh, been super busy since, uh, uh, since he made the referral back in, when did we record that episode, Wayne? November, December? Gosh, I, I, I don't know. It's been I could not. It's been a while. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that long ago. Yeah, we're not here to talk about carbon leaf and red wanting blue. We're here to talk about alternate roots. So let let's go back to the the beginning. So you guys, uh, I looked at the bio and it said you guys were. Uh, were formed while studying at Fairfield University. I had to look up where Fairfield was. Uh huh. So that's that's Bridgeport, Connecticut area, right? Oh yeah. Yes. So so do you fly in and out of Hartford or fly in and out of Westchester? Usually, whatever is uh, cheaper. Um, New yeah. York tends to be New York tends to be. Um, you know, usually there, there's usually more options out of New York. So I'd say usually New York City or Hartford. Uh, I'm a big fan of flying out of Hartford, but you don't get as many uh, direct flights. So that is sort of the, uh, the, 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 the name of the game there. You're balancing more options versus uh, the convenience of flying out of Bradley. But, you know, it's about 50-50, yeah. I'd say. 
Yeah, I used to have a client up in that area, so I uh, we would typically fly into Westchester. My my biggest gripe with Westchester is uh, TSA pre didn't mean anything at Westchester. Mm. But oh right, first world problems, right? Oh, can I say? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you guys have been doing this for a while. So what you formed when? Two thousand two or three, maybe. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you've uh, you've got uh, a number of albums out. You guys were on Vanguard for for a few records. How, how many records did you do with Vanguard? We have, we we did two full lengths and an EP with uh, Vanguard. And to bring that's that's when we met Carbon Leaf. Carbon Leaf was on Vanguard when we were on Vanguard. So that was kind of our uh, introduction to them. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Did you, did you guys? kind of go indie about the same time that they decided to, to do that as well? I don't remember exactly when they did, but right around the same time. I think we were all sort of in the same kind of, uh, in the same kind of cycle with with, with them. Um, so I think we, we, we probably went independent right around the same time as them, yeah. Yeah. Now, looking at your uh, your chronology here, so... I know that you guys put out a couple singles back in 2019. You guys working on a full length record for 2020? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, I, I feel like we've done singles now for a while, um, and I miss the album. I miss it. I, I even even listening to Abbey Road for this exercise and whatever you know. So yeah, yes. Yes, the answer is yes. Yeah. Okay, you you guys have a couple live records. So where did where did you record in the live in Seattle? Because Wayne and I are, both grew up in Tacoma. Wayne's still out there in the Seattle area. Um, I'm not, um, but but he's still there. So where where did you guys record that? Tim, I'm gonna let you answer that because I always botch the details on this. Oh, well, the night before was interesting. Um, it was the triple door in Seattle. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were, I'll, I'll tell a quick, not long story, but um, we were in Seattle. We pulled into town. I mean, it was Portland. I forget. But the night before we played the triple door, we were in this town and we pulled up next to the hotel and there was this tour bus there. And we're like, oh, tour bus, that's funny. And then somehow we figured out that we were friends with the guy in the tour bus. So we knocked on the tour bus door and he was like, oh, man, yeah, we're here. Like, let's hang out. And it was such a serendipitous thing. that We ended up staying up kind of late and then we had to get to the gig the next day. And um, I, so I love that we have this recording. It was a tough day. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough day, but it was a great show, and I love that room. And Seattle's amazing, so very cool. Um, all right, so I'm going to go through a couple of the songs that uh, that I dig from you guys. So the song "All That I See," mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard that. I mean, because it's like about a decade old, right? Yeah, about yeah. And I feel like I've heard that song either on like a mix CD or in a Starbucks was. Did did they play it at Starbucks? Did, was this a coffee house song? That's uh, that song was used by not to get like boring, uh, you know, like music industry <laughs> boring on you. But that song uh, on our second Vanguard release, uh, a record called Sucker's Dream, 
that was sort of like the not it wasn't the single but it was sort of like the like the lead off song it was the thing that would always be included um so like it you know like for for example like when there were giveaways or there were you know you know any kind of promotional okay. that was the song that would come with it so and it ended up being one of our most popular songs um especially on that album but in general um, and it's interesting cause it wasn't a single, it didn't have any proper promo, but I feel like it got out there a lot and, uh, did some cool things for us. So yeah, you, you may have heard that, uh, in a coffee shop or you may have heard that on, you know, various kind of playlists. Um, cause at the time that was sort of the song that was kind of being pushed as again, not the, the single, but like the, the giveaway, whatever you want to call that. Um, so that song's been well for us. But I'm never on time if you know me. If all we can find is a life we can't hide from, all that I need is you. Oh, and everyone needs something to believe in, and all I can see is you. All I can see is you. What's the what's the six hour drive talking about? Six hour drive from where to where? So our the person most responsible for writing that song is a guy named uh, Chip Johnson, and he runs a studio called Alpine Red in Virginia. And uh, super talented dude. We met in Boston, and so we lived in New York City for a while, um, and then we lived in Bridgeport. And Chip. Chip's house was in Northern Virginia. So a lot of times before we all were living together and while he was dating a girl who lived down there, he would, um, we would, we'd come home from long trips and drive and drive and drive to get home at, at five in the morning, or whatever. And Chip would rip a cup of coffee and he'd drive six more hours to Northern Virginia. Like I never heard some of it was so heroic. I can't even stress that enough, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, there's a six hour drive, uh, and I know it by heart. And that was Chip and his Toyota Camry when he used to smoke gotcha. cigarettes. Just going. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I'll, I'll tell you the song that's been on constant repeats for me is the song Sun So High. And I'm looking at your top 10 most listened to songs on Spotify and it's not there. And I feel like that's a travesty. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the line... Cover me with music, honey. Swallow me in your sound. Uh, a- any any particular music that you want it, want uh, want want to be swallowed in the sound of? Uh, well, that song. Right when I was starting out, like writing songs and playing music with people my own age, um, I was in a band with my cousin who lived in upstate New York, Mayapack, and they. Uh, anyway, long story, but um, it was really where. I fell in love with writing my own songs and music and learning about live music, which I hadn't been exposed to much. And so we would play and play and play at this guy, uh, Danny Burmeister's house, who's, whose dad was a Broadway actor and kind of let us have the run of the place. And um, so we would just be on the porch playing music. And uh, so that song always reminds me of like whatever that time in my life 
was and it was just all music it was anything we could get our hands on like everybody yeah. it was awesome some of your earlier influences as far as songwriters go reason why i'm asking is uh i just finished uh editing a episode celebrating the life of john prine i'm just curious uh which which songwriters influence you guys for 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 your songwriting go for it eric all right um well i mean (laughs) i mean john prine is you know i mean i know uh, unfortunately, um, he's somebody that's very much on everybody's mind. Um, but I mean, as far as songwriters go, you know, there's, you know, and I think once, you know, you, once you're at a certain level, you know, you're, you're certainly not comparing people and like, I don't think there's any type of hierarchy, but you know, you know, I, I don't think there's ever been, you know, I, I think John Prine is as fine of a songwriter as, has, as has ever lived. And, uh, we got to, I only got to see him, uh, once, but it was on, uh, Kayamo, the cruise cruise ship and i ended up checking out uh, all four of his sets and uh it was one of the yeah it was just one of the most incredible things it was just him solo or just him with a a few other people at various times um but it was it was just one of those experiences i'll never forget and you know he just has so many songs and you know he's just able to do so many things so what appears to be effortlessly um so yeah i'd say john prine is you know somebody that's very much uh i know on a lot of people's mind right now but you know he's as good as they get yeah were were any of those performances with casey musgraves she was on the boat um that that year we saw like the most stacked boat it was incredible it was uh it was john prine it was casey musgrave it was uh uh um, jason isbell amanda shire um Mm. stapleton uh lucinda williams it was just like it was a it was a pretty magic year we went and uh yeah casey was on there they didn't play they i mean she may have sat in on a song or two but they didn't do anything formal together um okay that that particular boat but but yeah she was on that that boat as well i was just curious because uh one of our recent guests roger harvey uh covered the song that she wrote called burn one with john prine Mm. and it was on one of those cruise ships that um, he got the footage from cause she hasn't properly recorded it. Um, she just performed it with John Prine, uh, next to her. And, and, uh, so he, he properly recorded it. So I was just curious if, oh. uh, you, you saw the magic of that. Oh, it uh, could have been. I don't recall that, but they were both on it. So that's, that's very yeah. possible. I think it was 2015 or something. Yeah. Gotcha. So your most listened to song is a song called nothing more. 3 million listens that had to have made some kind of playlist, right? That did a, that did a handful of things. That song, um, that song has, has sort of taken on a life of its own, um, you know, more so than any other, uh, 
you know, just as far as like what, what, what it's done and, and what it's reached, um, you know, that song's, um, that song's taken on a life of its own. That's probably the easiest way to say it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And uh, second most, most listened to Desdemona. I really liked your version from the live album. Uh, you mentioned on that version that you wrote that for your sister. So um, I was an English major in college. So calling someone a Desdemona is probably not the most flattering description since I equate that with Othello. <laughs> the moment, braver still than what our minds let us believe. Even the walls that will surround you somehow steadied by your very own hand. I don't know just how to change you All I know is how to tell you that you can Cause I'll never tell you how to live But you keep on telling me that's just the way it is There's the moment What's the story behind calling the song Desdemona, using that as the, the, the title? Well, I have to call myself out on something here in order to answer your question, but I, I just made a career growing up in school and college, which I finished early, uh, not reading books. Um, I would read, I would read parts of them. Um, I don't know. I couldn't tell you what Desdemona like did or it, I mean, it's obviously not a, it sounds like the kind of name that the character probably was that I'm referencing, but, um, I don't know about that character, but Eric and I wrote that song. We worked on that chord progression together one day and, it was feeling really good. And that word just kind of dropped out of my mouth. And when you're kind of putting lyric, you know, melodies and lyrics together, you, you can end up sort of mumbling, uh, you know, melodies over and over. And that word Desdemona has got a lot of vowels in it. And it's uh, mm -hmm. obviously I was familiar enough with the reference to use it, but not with any sort of academic um, authority. <laughs> uh, Eric, did you know what he was doing? No, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, my, my, my wife is an actor. So, uh, and like classical, so like Shakespeare was, uh, I, I knew it, uh, I, I was, a, I was slightly more familiar, but even I'm, I mean, it like, I think she was, uh, she had been in Othello uh, a few times. So I had seen it around then. Uh, it's been a long time. So don't quiz me on the plot right now. Um, I will fail. <laughs> um, but I was slightly more in tune with the story at the time. Um, but, but yeah, not enough to make any uh, meaningful contributions. That's right. But I will say, um, I'm, that felt like a really special time writing that song. And I, and I don't mean to suggest like without even still really knowing <laughs> the fate of Desdemona, I can't imagine it's good, but, um, you know, uh, 
She gets killed by her yeah, husband. Okay. By her. Yeah. So um, right. <laughs> they, they, they never end well. They're trash. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I don't say that with any pride, by the way. I, I should know. I should have read that. I, I should know about it. But um, I don't know. I, I didn't. I don't want that to reflect negatively on my sister. But um, I'm really proud of that of, of that song, and I played it for her in a very personal way. And I wanted it. I wanted it to change her. I wanted it to change her mind or give her permission to do something more adventurous. And I've never intentionally written a song with the intention of playing it for somebody to try and get them to be a different way or think a, a different thing. So that was cool. That was fun. Right. Right. And, uh, Patty Griffin was on that song with you guys, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's a highlight. Really cool. We did, we did a Patty record recently. Um, well, I, I, I guess I can't say recently. It's been over a year since we did that silver bell episode, right Wayne? Oh Yeah. Anyways, we've got another Patty Griffin episode eventually coming up too, if I can ever squeeze that into my schedule here. So there we go. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, should we jump into the record that uh, we're going to talk about? Let's do it. Yeah. Sure. Oh, we got we got one last question that we ask all of our guests though. And then and then I'm going to ask you one additional question after after I ask this. So, Toto's Africa, good or bad song? Bad. There you go. Bad? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we should both answer, I feel like, Eric. And I. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my 100% honest answer. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a bad song. I never, in, I, it's not my jam, but I, I wouldn't say it's, I mean. That wasn't I, the question, Eric. Good I know, bad. I know, I know. Do I, I do not enjoy that song, but I do not think it's a bad song. I just, not, not my, I never enjoyed that song. You guys have just become Wayne's favorite group. <laughs> and it was already, I will say this, uh, just because I, 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 I find it hard to work myself into the conversation when, when Ben's interviewing, but I actually discovered one of my favorite songs of all time this week, uh, listening to you guys. Uh, Shelly is like, it just, it's one of those songs that like, gave me uh, goosebumps when I heard it. And I probably listened to it at least 12 times in the last week. Oh, cool. I appreciate it. <laughs> in the process of uh, retiring our our Toto's Africa song. So we're trying to figure out what's a good transition question from the interview section to the record that we're going to talk about. And um, so last week I we had Brian Dunn on, on the podcast. Hey, Brian Dunn. And, and uh, he suggested that maybe we should uh, talk about Billy Joel because that seems to be a divisive uh, topic. And I, and I found out firsthand, Wayne, did you see the final tally of our uh, Billy Joel uh, poll I that I put I up? I couldn't bear to watch anymore. 
I was afraid they were coming for you. I know. I got called out by Richard Marks, of all people, because of my poll. Um, and I and I was look, I was trying to be um, I was trying to poke the bear a little bit with the way that I worded it. But I was like, so at what point did Billy jump the shark or start to be uncool? And then I gave a couple periods, you know, it was like glass houses, period, or um, the uh, stormfront period where it was like, you know, we didn't start the fire. Um, and then one of the other question or one of the other uh, answers was Billy's always been cool, which I, Billy's always been cool to me, even even with some of his uh, choices of like River of Dreams. Not my jam, but I understand why he did it. Mm-hmm. So what about you guys? What's, what's your opinion of Billy Joel? Is he, has he always been cool? Did he jump the shark at some point for you? Have you never, uh, been able to, you know, get on the, the, the Billy train? What's, what's your guys' opinion? I think Billy, Billy Joel for me, like when, I mean, I like just revealing my age, like the, the record, like Stormfront was the record that I liked. Um, Cause like I was, I don't know, I was, I forget how old I was when that record came out, but like, I remember getting that record and, you know, Billy Joel was always like, he was never cool or not cool. He was like classic, like, but even by the time I was, you know, I was learning, like I would have put him, you know, like all things considered, like I would have put him when I was a kid in the same category as like the Beatles or an Eric Clapton or a Billy Joel, even though, you know, now that, you know, I know that he came up a little later than all those guys, but when you're 12, like if they're older than you, they're just older than you. Um, so he wasn't, you know, he wasn't Nirvana. He wasn't Pearl Jam. He was just, he was Billy Joel and he was, you know, so like he was never cool or not cool. He was just kind of classic. And, um, I remember when Stormfront came out, like, I love that record, you know? So, yeah. So yeah, I would say he was, he was never cool and he was never not cool. And that's what I think Brian also said was that that kind of same same vibe as well. So, I mean, I have to say that like I used to like. I mean, I love Billy Joel. Sorry, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of lyrics that I love of his, and if you listen to the harmonies in the longest time, and there's so many different ways, like what just like a musical beast. I mean, he, when he quit writing pop songs for a while, he he was scoring symphonies. Like, mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm a, I'm in that right there. Just tells you his musical yeah. talent. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. Can, it's easy to take his brain for granted. You know what I mean? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, and Billy Joel's definitely the kind of artist where, you know, the more you listen to him, like the deeper it gets. You know, it's you know there you can keep listening and keep hearing more things, and you know. I definitely think that's uh, I think Billy Joel is a very deep well, regardless of what you think of him. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Agreed. All right. So let's talk about the record that we're going to, we're going to dive into. Um, and I, and I usually ask, so what record did you guys choose? It, but I kind of coerced you into picking this, didn't I? <laughs> I Maybe a little bit. I didn't feel coerced. I think this okay. This is the one album I, I would feel comfortable doing this with personally. Because I know that you guys you guys were kind of having a little hard time trying to land on, on a record. And I was like, hey, uh, well, you know, we haven't done a Beatles record yet or a Stones record yet. 
And that's where I think, uh, I, I don't know. Did I bring up Abbey road or did you, it, we just stumbled onto the fact that nobody had done Beatles records and we were like, Oh, yeah. no brainer done. I mean, I think I emailed you back like two minutes after you told me that. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The one, the one thing that I found with my research and I didn't do a whole lot of research because look, when you do a Beatles episode, the 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 Beatle, um, I don't even know what you call the diehards. Do they have a specific title? The diehard fans. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know if they have like a Beatle files. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Beatle files. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like if I if I bring up all these little fun facts that I that I found, they would come. They would counter with, "Well, that's not correct. It's really this and this." No such thing as bad press. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Yeah, which I found out with the the Billy Joel question because I uh, I had six hundred. Oh, yeah, I had over six hundred people who voted on that poll on Twitter. Wow. Yeah. Because. People were pissed off on the way that I worded it. So it worked. It worked. Um, so here's the thing. This record was almost called Everest. Right. Yes. After the cigarettes, not the, uh, <laughs> not the place. Yeah, that I'm glad. I'm glad that somebody, I, and I don't know who had the, the, the foresight of going, no, that's a horrible idea. I can't even imagine like looking at the, you know, I have the CD uh, uh, of this. I can't even imagine it being called Everest. So I'm glad smarter smarter uh, choices were made there. But I, I just want to highlight something that I'll probably say m- multiple times on this in this conversation, which is that the way that decisions were getting made at that time, at the height of an impossible, impossibly, anyway, just just their their place in the world musically at the time when they're working on their 11th album like there's nothing they haven't achieved and this is the sort of like arbitrary stuff they're mulling over and there's songs on this record that are silly and they just to to stand at the top of the mountain i guess to sort of enlist up on mm-hmm. your and to not care and or just to not be worried about it like that i think that is amazing that, that's the thing that just blows me away. And, yeah. uh, I think it was a touch of apathy too, because they're they're clearly breaking up. There's points in this record where you can hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there was I think there was a bit of hey, call it whatever you want. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And and you brought up the fact so this is this was the eleventh studio record by them. It was released in September of sixty nine. However, if you guys know the chronology, right. not the last it, one released. Not the last one released. Why? I in all the research that I found, I couldn't find what was the reason why this was released before Let It Be. Was it because of it was a little more playful than Let It Be, or the th- the, the thing I heard was just that they liked it. Oh, sorry, Wayne. Go ahead. Oh, I I know. Phil Spector produced Let It Be, right? I yeah, I thought it was the Phil Spector thing that like they were it was just, it was harder to they were still like figuring it out. He's crazy and he just was loading sound after sound. Yeah. He's probably still working on it. That's what it is. <laughs> in prison, right. <laughs> it was before that. 
So ways before. Oh, that. okay. Before that. I'm not okay. Saying before he wasn't that. Still okay. crazy. I'm just saying he hadn't. He hadn't shot it. He hadn't shot at anybody yet. Yeah. What's What's interesting on this is um, the the critics were kind of mixed on this. They some some of the critics did not like this record at all. However, some of course have have heralded this as the 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 best Beatles album. And this is my favorite. This is my my own Mind personal you. favorite. So um, I will just throw that out there. Do you do you guys? Is this also your favorite Beatles record? I'll let Eric answer second because I have a quick answer. But I mean, I feel like Beatles records are like they're like Seinfeld episodes. <laughs> it's like it, it's like why are you going to pick a favorite? It's I don't know. You don't need to. You just turn the TV on and it's and it's funny. You know, it's like that's the point of you're poking at the whole thing we do. Here. <laughs> just the whole idea, the whole idea is great. Yeah. <laughs> well done, fellas. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. I, 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 I'm torn on on if it's my favorite Beatles record. Well, I guess favorite is is a good word. I think this is the record I'm most drawn to. I'd say like this and let it be. Um, but I feel like if I had to pick one, I would pick this album and I, I, I can't put my finger on what it is about this album, but you know, I, I, I find myself the most drawn to it. Um, and yeah, it's got like an intangible quality to it that, uh, that I find myself most drawn to. Yeah. And because I think it's, it's where the band is the most, complete mm-hmm. i mean i i i have a few the the early records so you know i have help and uh what was the one right before that please please me mm-hmm. yeah i think so and and re-listening to those it's it's sometimes a little bit hard because i i have to remember that okay they're they're right out of their little hamburg we're we're playing all the chuck berry covers period and they haven't they hadn't really found them themselves they hadn't really developed all the talents that you can absolutely see on on this record or you know talking about let it be as well so yeah i'm definitely drawn to the more the 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 later stuff yeah absolutely i i me too though i like if white if the white album wasn't a two disc it might be my favorite but i love this area you know, from Sergeant Pepper on, where they're where they're clearly aware that they're the biggest thing that's ever been in music, and then they start to break away from what got them there, and they start to experiment, and they that everybody's writing songs, and it's getting you know everybody's got their own ideas, and they're actually working. You know, George Martin's helping to work these ideas together, and I thought the stuff at the end of their career, and and even this with the band breaking up, I I agree. This is my favorite record because I think. The songs that I don't have highly, you know, ranked, I they're still really good songs and and interesting and fun to listen to. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think this the other thing to that that always just blows me away. There's no even real point to what I'm about to say, other than it just you know it's it's sort of shocking. But like when you when you look at their discography, just like how fast that all happened, you know, like we're talking about, you know, less than a decade, you know, that all of this music got made and just like the trajectory. And then also, you know, how like much of, you know, even 
you know, even if you, you know, you can argue their influences, certainly. Um, and they were certainly borrowing from a lot of things that were around them, but, you know, just proportionally, you know, just how on the front line of, of so much culture and music that they were on and, you know, in, in such a short amount of time. And, um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty staggering when you think about it that way. And you think like what Abbey Road is the culmination of, um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty wild concept, I think. Do you think that while they were creating Abbey Road and let it be that they were like, people are going to talk about this 50 years from now. Like people are going to be um, scoring this on a podcast 50 years from now and debating on, um, you know, what their favorite songs are. I, I mean, did, did they, I, I, I know that they knew that they were, you know, the biggest band in the world, but do you think that they had any foresight that, you know, just how, how influential they were to everybody. I'm not trying to be difficult when I say it this way, but I don't think anyone could know what those guys were th- like to think of the ride that they went on, you know, like they were the Beatles, <laughs> like no one's ever been on that ride before. And to try to like, guess what they were thinking at the time, I think would be really hard. Like, I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> they maybe, yeah. you know, like I think they, you know, they, they, they witnessed something that, you know, had never happened before and, and, and will probably never happen again, at least, you know, in our lifetime of, of, you know, just something like hitting on that level. And, you know, I don't know the, the effect that that has on you as a songwriter, or as a performer, you know, or making a record. So, um, you know, possibly, you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out that they didn't know how important it is that they, what, the, what it was that they were doing. I, I will yeah. say, I, I think that, the genius or the luck or um i don't know the fact that they stood there and they didn't they weren't caring or they at least weren't didn't seem to be worrying about it i i don't know i feel like that's the thing right by doing that they sort of let their subconscious kind of take over by not caring as much because they still had something to say uh and maybe Maybe Paul had the whole thing in a stranglehold or, or something. I don't know. But um Yeah. But I do think there was some some real wisdom and things that were unlocked because collectively they weren't all totally invested. And I think things sort of fumed out of them in different ways that made it onto the later albums that were just so honest and things that they were all willing to fight for because they were all trying to have their own identity in this crazy thing where everyone had decided what they what they were already. So whatever they were shooting out at people, like that was, there was something pure about it. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think as we go through each of the tracks, we're going to just touch on each of those that some of them were not engaged and others were definitely finding their voice. Cause, um, I would say my, my two favorite George Harrison songs ever are on this record. Mm. No, clearly. yeah. Well, Hard to argue that. Yeah. Well, got my guitar gently weeps is uh, right in the conversation. I, I agree. Um, and like mm-hmm. I say, I'm not a Destiny guy or a, or a Magic, but I mean, when you look at this and these four individuals, um, if they don't if they don't come together, I don't know that 
that this happens. I mean, we've, you know, we've heard artists. Pun say, intended. <laughs> we, we've heard artists say, you know, it's all, you know, just one thing. It's, 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 everything's got to line up. And I mean, if Pete Best is still in this band, does it ever become the Beatles? Cause I think Ringo Starr is a, he is an underrated drummer and, and not a bad songwriter, even though he only wrote two for the, for the Beatles, but it's, it all came together and, and it just, it really, I don't know that it would have worked any other way. Yeah. And I think the other thing in, in just kind of jumping on what you were just saying, like, I think the other thing about this record, you know, in listening to it in preparation for this is I think it might be the Beatles record where the playing is just the, you know, and maybe it's the Billy Preston factor. Um, you know, I don't know if maybe he just raised everybody's game, but just like the playing on this record is, is, is amazing. And, you yeah. know, I think Billy Preston certainly, you know, up, you know, ups everything, but, you know, just, I, I think the playing on it is, is, is pretty magic too. Yeah. I think definitely Ringo and, and especially George yeah. Harrison really, really raised their, their game. They really yeah. shine in a lot, in different yeah, spots, absolutely. but really shine. And, and, you know, and then when, you know, you talk about, you know, like different people being invested and, you know, like, I think the thing about, you know, when you're listening to, you know, these guys playing, it's like, even if it's a song that maybe they're not crazy about, maybe they don't like it, but they always sound great on them. Like, you know, there's no song where like Paul's not playing the bass at a ridiculously high level. There's no, you know, there's no point where like, you know, John Lennon's voice doesn't sound great, even if he's not crazy about the song, you know, um, you know, and I think that's the thing about it. That's like, that, that that's pretty remarkable. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's jump into the record. We're going to go track by track. As a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? A seventeen. Yeah, I, I could tell that you were hesitating <laughs> because uh, some of these songs might be debatable that they're complete songs and should be deemed for points, but we're going to do it anyways. Uh, so that means top song is going to get seventeen points. Next favorite sixteen on down to a lowest score of one. Let's kick this off. Here is Come Together. You guys aware that originally side B was going to be side A? I did hear that. I did. I did not. That's just that's just crazy to me that they that they even contemplated this because um, I can't I can't listen to this record without hearing come together. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and the one thing that uh, I didn't realize and. I don't know why I never, never noticed this, but the lyrics uh, to begin is shoot me. I always thought it was just like um, just a weird, funky noise that he was making, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, So I didn't realize it was shoot me, but with the production, they kind of faded some of the music into the me part. And so that's where you've got the interesting sounds that, uh, 
are throughout this song. Yeah, I, I did. You guys realize it was shoot me? I didn't. I, I am I just really I saw, stupid? No, I, well, if and then I, I have to, I have to cop to it too. I did not. It's always that rhythmic sound. I never associated with words, and then when I saw the lyrics, I thought, oh, that's horribly that's, creepy. I wish yeah, I had that not is, heard that. Yeah, I was not aware of that either. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys have to say about sh- about uh, come together? This is my favorite Beatles song. Wow. Re- wow. Okay. Gauntlet has been thrown down. I, I love, I love this, and another one of my favorite Beatles songs is "I Am the Walrus." Like I love John Lennon when he's he's being in a weird and. I know that I am the walrus was actually written in response to somebody at a college. I think it was a college class on interpreting the Beatles. And he specifically wrote, I am the walrus to see what they thought of that. Um, But in this one, I had read something where someone described it as a single pariah, like protagonist. um, uh, And, and the same uh, reference uh, called it a sardonic self portrait with it. Absolutely. When you even, you know, when you look at it, John Lennon is, is talking about himself. And I think some of the, the things that are just really great about, cause I don't think every line means something, but I don't think it's an accident that he lifts a Chuck Berry line to start the song. I think mm-hmm. that's incredibly, uh, that's just, that's brilliant. And then some of the lines about the, uh, what's the one, my favorite one is where he says one plus one plus one is three, which at this point, you know, he's gotten a lot of flack for saying a lot of stuff that people don't, necessarily agree with but just like the colloquial way is one plus one is two is to say something's a fact something's true and one plus one plus one is three is actually a fact too so it's a different way of saying you know i'm what i'm saying is right but there's other there's just some great lines in there you know and he mentions the walrus again which that's the third time another favorite song of mine's glass onion um that also mentions the walrus but i just love how he's not everything means something, but he's getting the truth in there. He's getting things about himself. He's taking shots about him uh, at himself in this really cool, funky, weird way. I will have to say that come together. I couldn't tell. Like I, I and my scoring, I had it. I actually gave it and another song like interchangeable scores, and I couldn't figure out which one was eight and which <laughs> one was eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the only time I did that, and I forgot to delete it. So I guess this left coming together for me to be at eleven, which was kind of up there, but not towards the tippy tippy top. And um, um, I do love the lyrics. I will say, I guess it's an easy song for me to overlook because it's always it's been on the radio and things like that, which I don't usually hold against a song. It's. I think it's cool that it was your favorite. It's your favorite song. There's plenty of good reasons why it, why it could be a person's favorite Beatles song. So, and that says a lot about a song. <laughs> anyway, yeah. are you guys aware of the inspiration for this song? Came from uh, <laughs> uh, uh, from Timothy Leary asking John Lennon to write a song for his campaign for the governor of California to try and defeat Ronald Reagan. Oh wow! I did not know that. And John couldn't come. He 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 had the come together, which was supposed to be the slogan for for Timothy Leary, but um, couldn't really come up with any other lyrics for it. So, kind of glad that he came up with all the little nonsensical lyrics instead. So, there you go. Yeah, there's little okay. wisdom that creeps out of there, though. 
and then not caring once again. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I gave this one a 12. Um, and at various points in my life, you know, this was probably my favorite Beatles song, you know, for, you know, for, for a long time. Um, and, you know, at the moment, you know, I, I gave it a 12, but like, you know, like, as we said before, like with this stuff, like it all fluctuates and, um, you know, and, and come together, I think is one of the quintessential Beatles songs. I think actually George Martin may have said that at some point where that he thought come together was the quintessential Beatles song. Um, and I, I think I agree with that sentiment to a certain point, um, that, you know, it's just everybody firing on all cylinders and it's a, it's a fantastic song. It's a, it's a fantastic recording. And, you know, for a good part of my life, I'd say this was, you know, one of my top favorite, you know, this was one of my favorite songs. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, so I gave this a nine. That, that was the lowest of all of our scores. And, uh, which I just, I had a hard time scoring this and I kind of feel bad about it, even though it's still a high score. Cause I've always considered myself, I'm more of a John Lennon fan than I am a Paul McCartney fan. So hmm. anyways, ask me next week. It'll probably be different. Um, yeah. all right. All right. Next song. Something. This was written by George Harrison and uh, title was inspired by James Taylor's something in the way she moves. JT was also on the Apple label back in the day. So um, it's described as a love song to Harrison's first wife. And he actually offered this song to Joe Cocker first. Cause he didn't think aware of that. Yeah. He didn't think they'd let them. He wasn't sure they'd let him get it on the album. So yeah, actually offered it to him first. Yeah. Uh, this was part of the single. So they released only one single off of this record, which just blows my mind. Um, and that was a double a side. They did that back in the day, a double a side of coming together with this song. And it, it of course, uh, was, uh, was a success. I mean, this song is a masterpiece. It's it wasn't even my top rated song. I think it was up there, but it's it's a perfect song. And it's like yes. maybe like an annoying thing to say, but I think it's perfect. I think it's per. I think it's perfect. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, you know, I think from. Uh, I had this song as sixteen, and uh, yeah, I think it's an absolutely perfect song and you know just the way you know like just like from like a from a music like from like a theory point of view and like a chordal point of view the way things flow and then you know the 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 song is in c major and you know it's beautiful and you know kind of like takes you in c and then you know the bridge or the chorus i don't even know what you would even call it 
um, the, you know, the you're asking me, uh, well, my love girl part like jumps to a major. So it does this like cool modulation and then just kind of like effortlessly comes back and then he goes there again. Like, it's just like, it's, it's exquisitely written. It's just, uh, it's a, it's a perfectly written song. And, um, you know, it's just one of those songs you just never get tired of, of listening to. I watched a video and, and the audio is probably on the deluxe version. Um, I'll have to double check that, but George is kind of working out the lyrics with Paul and John. And so for that, that chorus or bridge part, whatever you want to call it, like he's trying to figure out. So he brings up like, don't know, Mr. Show missed the show. I mean, it was, it was cool listening to this, this, because the vi- video was it really was just on YouTube. It's the audio of whatever, but it was cool to just listen to the writing process. And he's getting John and Paul involved, and they're you know they're kind of throwing out some ideas, and and then he runs with it and creates this masterpiece. And this this is my favorite song on the record. Hmm. Uh, this is this has always been one of my favorite Beatles songs. I know it's probably not the sexiest of the Beatles songs out there. Um, but I just love it. And I've, I've grown to love George Harrison, uh, over the last, I don't know, about decade or so. I always kind of, kind of viewed the Beatles as it was always, you know, Paul and John as the, the, the alpha males in it. George was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, super underrated guitar player. I think this Absolutely. is one of it, possibly his best solo. Um, I love, I love the way. I mean, because this song was inspired by Patty uh, Boyd, who actually also inspired Layla, uh, Layla and Wonderful Tonight. So yeah. she, that's that's got to be some kind of record. But yep. <laughs> when he goes into the that uh, that yeah. bridge part, if you will, where you're asking me, will our will, will my love grow? And the way he sings, I don't know, is so. Like, it's not, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I hope so. It's so, it's just, it is a really a wonderful song with this very lush arrangement that you just, I mean, the first version I ever heard was actually Elvis. Hmm. I think Hmm. you, you you touch on something I couldn't agree with more, which is that like at the height of this, you know, all out love song, the whole idea about it is that you can't, pin it down it's something it's vague and you don't know why (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool you know you just you just described love right yeah yeah. (laughs) well yeah and i mean he does in the title something i don't what is it who knows it's something yeah Yeah. uh let's get some scores wayne an 11 and then tim uh something was 16 and then eric 16. Okay. Next song is Maxwell Silver Hammer. Bang, bang, bang. 
And Eric, um, this was your lowest score. Yeah. Sorry. No, don't apologize. Yeah. Own it. Own it. Own it, Eric. I know. I know. This, And I, I will say going from something to Maxwell's Silver Hammer is in my mind one of the biggest bummers <laughs> in 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 record um just not a fan you know you know he's no reason to uh belabor the point but uh i just i you know i don't enjoy this track never have the one quote that i got from from looking up stuff was uh there's an author by the name of ian mcdonald he said if any single recording shows why the beatles broke up it's Maxwell Silver Hammer. So I think I need to step in right now <laughs> and, and defend. Oh, I'm with you. Go. Maxwell Silver Hammer. I had this in the color red on my list, which means that I thought it might be a little high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I shared the colors with you, or maybe I did. No, no, I did not know what the color scheme was when you yeah, said yeah. the score. They tried to make notes when I was listening. But um, but that said, uh, the turnaround, when they, you know, they sing Silver Hammer, like, and they, it's just like so, that's wild. I love that. And again, touching on the, like, you have to sort of, uh, um, you know, surrender or not care or let go at that level in order to continue to do meaningful work. Like you have to, you know, you got to shoot some blanks, (laughs) I guess (laughs) I'd say. So, you know, this is sort of part of the process. And also it's not a complete throwaway song musically. I like that it's a sing-along. The bouncy stuff I was never crazy about in really from any artist. Um, but I put it at seven and I double checked it and I, anyway, so uh, Wayne, I take always, it. I always liked this song and I always felt like there was something I wasn't getting, whether it was cause I was too young. And then as I got older, I started to think maybe there's a drug reference cause the hammer silver, whatever. Then I actually read that Paul McCartney say that this is, this is, he was trying to verbalize or give an identity to when things just go horrible, just go wrong for no apparent reason. They go horribly wrong. And that click, cause I do, I actually love Rocky raccoon too, which there's really no reason for it because he's other than he's got these great jaunty old time melody with some sinister type, you know, on the surface lyrics. But when you look at it from that sense of, he said that he just silver hammer sounded better than just hammer. So that's why that's the only reason for that. But that idea now, you know what? Dating a girl, it goes horribly wrong. In school, it goes horribly wrong for no apparent reason. Uh, you're in court, it can go horribly wrong for no apparent reason. Like when you put it in that context where he's trying to give an identity to that, to that one thing that just happens and you can't explain it, it's got to be Maxwell's silver hammer because there's no other rational reason. I have, and I, that's a guilty pleasure. I love this song, and okay. I gave it a lower score than I would have because I. I didn't, I was, I wasn't comfortable putting it ahead of like peer pressure, you know, here comes the sun and, and something. (laughs) Right. Right. All right. So Wayne, what was your score? 10. Okay. And this is my seven as well. And, and 
I I would definitely agree with the 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 comment about the sequencing going from something to this song. I've always kind of had a little bit of a problem with it as well. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot to make a note, but you've just reminded me of something, which is it also has the burden of being in that spot, which I actually count to its credit. Something had to stand there, it, you know, in the aftermath of something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, would, would we... Yeah, I, I don't. I was just going to throw out: would we, would we put "I Want You," "She's So Heavy" instead, and for that slot, would we put "Octopus's Garden" in that slot? I mean, pick on Ringo. Oh, <laughs> I think <laughs> cool. I think "I Want You" might be a good way to get out of something. But or would or would you just put something as like the last track on a side and and. Yeah. That way, you don't put any pressure on another song to follow it. No, I mean, yeah. I think you got. I, I like if I was making this track listing, I think, you know, I mean, I think you could even go "Oh, Darling" after that. I mean, it's sort of a ballad. It's a, it's another ballad, but yeah, you know, I think it's one of the. I feel like it's the, you know, even if you swapped "Oh, Darling" in Maxwell's Silverhammer, but then you got Maxwell's next Octopus's Garden, which is like two kind of silly-ish songs together. So I don't know. They knew what they were doing, but still gets a one in my in my list someone's got to be one yeah Yeah. all right all right so that leads us to next song which is oh darling guys think about the vocals on this i'll let tim answer that i think they're great (laughs) i think i always say to eric you know people they watch nascar because they want to see the cars crash like that's not they don't watch you know that's why you watch and i feel like when you hear singers whose voices are coming apart you know right in your ears um and you aren't sure if they can pull it off i mean i think that's exciting he also pulls it off. I mean, they didn't auto tune it. Um, and I think nowadays, if an artist did this, it would come across as maybe making fun of the artist they were trying to pay tribute to. You know, I don't know what, um, I don't know what little Richard thought of the lyric or the, the vocal on Oh Darling while like a hundred million people were buying it in the store. But like, it's gutsy. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and it is Paul on the vocals and John had to say this, uh, 
Oh, sorry. He said, John, (laughs) John thought he should have, he, he could have sung it better. So there you go. (laughs) Anyways, uh, Wayne, what do you got on this one? And I, once I heard that too, I kept, I, that's all I could envision in my mind. Cause I, I've, it's not that I, once again, I don't dislike it, but some, something had to be down. Stuff had to get pushed to the bottom and it has a, there's a lack of inspiration in it that, and I don't know if it's because Paul, you know, did most of it himself or, and, or what, but I, I thought also John Lennon would have killed this. Yeah. Hard to argue that. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. Um, all right. I love, I love this song though. I really do. This is, this is my second favorite song on the record. Uh, Wayne, what do you got? I gave it a five. Wow. This one's all over the place. And Tim. Well, this is the one that I couldn't decide between this and come together. So I was rival, you know, I gave it an eight, I guess, but I didn't know if it shouldn't be 11. I'm, I'm a blues guy. Um, so I, I really like this one a lot. I gave it an eight. All right. And then Eric, I gave it a 13. I love this track. This is one of my favorite songs on the record. And, um, you know, I think the vocal on it is incredible. And, you know, I think the, the fact that he had the vision to, you know, want to sing it all in one take, he wanted to sound like the singers that he was kind of imitating, you know, the key that he put it in. I think it was all just so deliberate. And, and, and so well written and you know as like I'm not a singer per se but you know it's just one of those songs that you know if you're playing with somebody and they co- they, they, they call oh darling you know you're like okay you know it's on right now you know and it's just like it's one of those songs you know if someone's gonna sing oh darling like you know oh, right, and yeah. I feel bad too because I mean he came in he did this they said he'd come in every morning and do a take and it, if it didn't sound right he wouldn't like he wanted his voice to sound like you've been singing a whole like a whole show like he yeah, wanted yeah. it to sound he had this vision in his mind and I'm not I, 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 once again I think it's a great song too um, I just I but he the, he did have a vision and you got to respect that like he wasn't going to do it and and put it on tape until it was exactly like he wanted it yeah yep all right octopus's garden is next resting our head on the seabed in an octopus's garden near a cave we would sing and dance around because we know we can't be found i'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade Tim, I will speak first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to do that frequently on this podcast, but I will do it in this moment. Uh, I feel like normally I'm a guy that would stick up for Octopus's Garden. Um, I guess this was the second song Ringo had ever written, ever. Uh, I love Ringo Starr. I love his drumming. I don't even like, I don't like hate Octopus's Garden. Fine. Like, like Eric said, somebody had to be one. But when I was listening to this record the other night, 
trying to evaluate it. It went as soon as it came on. I was just like, "This is one," because <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I don't feel anything. I didn't feel anything in that moment, and uh, I gave it one. Like I think it's even saying like, "Oh, I've never written songs before, and this is the second one I ever wrote." Uh, it, it's like, well, then maybe it shouldn't be on the 11th album of one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah. Why did but, they throw him a bone on this one? But, well, that's, and I think that's part of the personalities. I mean, Ed, you got to remember he's a Beatle too. I mean, they all well, have no, a lot of clout in this, at this point in, in, and for him to get one song on there. I like one thing I like as like Ringo Starr gets a lot of static and I, and I think I did, I gave him some sympathy votes, but I love that Ringo Starr, I, when you listen to the other three voices, it's not that they're, they're, they're beautiful. I mean, like Paul McCartney has one of the sweetest voices I've ever heard in my life. And, and John Lennon's probably in the top three of my favorite singers. Ringo Starr is one of the guys who sounds English, even when he sings, like, I just like, he doesn't like, I'm going to sing a song. You're going to, you, I'm Ringo Starr. I'm in this band. I get to sing one song. And it, and so he, he goes out there and does it. And I love that he it's, it is completely silly, but, I mean, they let him sing. They let him sing the silly songs, even when they wrote him, the Yellow Submarine and stuff like that. So, sure. I, I mean, this song is definitely has a um, kind of, and even just like the others, he's he's still famous. He's still he's a Beatle, and this song is that kind of getting, trying to get out of the limelight, try to get away from all the animosity and the and the, that's in this band right now, and just live in an octopus's garden under the sea. So, I gave him, I gave him a lot a higher points than probably anybody else but i thought he i thought he i thought he earned it but i i just want to say like i don't want to be a grump either you know i think that's the coolest thing about it like i don't like the song that much but they put it on the record which is fearless and cool and also like that point you just made i think is really is nice it's like rango's in the middle of this cat fight and he's like guys it's fine <laughs> like it's all fine you know what i mean like look at me i'm over here not caring that much put it on the record it's the least you can do for me having to sit here while you guys all you know throw daggers at each other in passive aggression the whole time so anyway yeah i also think it's really uh i think uh, i think george had a lot to do with this song i think he uh kind of helped ringo through yeah, it yeah I, I read that too yeah, and the guitar playing on it is awesome, and you know, I, I still gave it a pretty low score. I gave it a three, um, but you know, I think the the guitar playing on it, I really enjoy. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's great, and um, you know, it's enjoyable. I mean, I don't, it's not my favorite song on the record, clearly, but I'm glad it's on there, and um, you know, it's a, you know, it's a silly song. It's like, and I think you know, for better or for worse, you know, I think it captures a certain part of, you know, of, you know, the Beatles mystique or vibe or, or that like kind of silly, you know, thing. And obviously the, you know, the later stuff, you know, had a lot of other kind of elements and theme to it, but it does feel like it just it still retains that, you know, sense of humor that the Beatles had, especially in the early days. And, you know, it's sort of a breath of fresh air on what can otherwise be at times a heavier record. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I have, two more thoughts <laughs> <laughs> one is i think i'm giving octopus's garden a proud one like they knew like he knew a lot of people were going to give it a one but he didn't care which i think is awesome and uh the other thought i had 
is like putting Octopus's Garden on Abbey Road. It's like if Michael Jackson put out like, don't worry, be happy. You know, it's, it's like, but they, but the Beatles did do that and they made silly cartoons and they, and they were bigger than almost anybody except for maybe Michael Jackson. And they still, they just imagine if Adele put out a silly song and how much we would love her for that. And those guys didn't know what else to do, but be as silly for a minute, you know, and they did it well. So, yeah, well, you, you might be the, well, this is a proud one. No, this is my one. Like, um, on, on Twitter last week, somebody, somebody threw out, um, so what is the one album that, you don't skip any songs. And, and I almost wrote Abbey road. And then I remembered, no, I skipped this song. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so mine's not a proud one. Mine's just a one. Um, Wayne, what's your score? Mine's a proud eight. I, I, like I say, I don't, I don't have any problems with this song at all. I think it, it, it serves its purpose. I think it's, you know, Ringo star, uh, stand, you know, standing up for himself. And you know what, if this is, with George Harrison's help, the best he can do. Well, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. All right. All right. And uh, so I think we got all the scores. I, I will just throw this out here. Uh, this is our least favorite song on the record, cumulatively. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. I'm okay with it. Yeah. All right. Next song, I Want You, in parentheses, She's So Heavy. I'm going to jump in because I'm going to speak quickly about this. But when, when I started listening to the song, I gave it a score and I ended up on hunched over my counter by the end of it, totally transfixed. And in moments when I was coming back from like whatever space the song brought me to the other night, I just kept bumping it up the list and taking the numbers of the songs that I had already ranked higher and lowering that song and bumping up. I want you <laughs> welcome to our podcast. That's what we do all the time. It's a numbers yeah. game. We get it. Yeah. This song jumped to the highest from the beginning of the listen to the end by far more than any other song. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, what do you got on this? Yeah. This feels like if it was shortened and inserted into the medley, it would have gotten a higher score because there are elements of it and part, especially the beginning that I like a lot. Um, but then at points it starts to remind me of my least favorite song on here. And then at one point I realized that this is going to be almost eight minutes. And really, even I was watching it the last time I listened to it and at the two twenty five mark, it's still too long. And, and there's, a, and there's just not a lot to it. And, 
part of it seems like a John Lennon. I get it. He loved Yoko Ono, um, but it just feels a little bit narcissistic to it at some point. I don't know that it, it had what it takes to go seven minutes and 47 seconds. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give that. Let's get some scores. Tim, you said. Well, I gave it a 10, but I can tell you it started at six. <laughs> gotcha. Eric. I, uh, I love this song. This is one of my absolute favorite songs. Uh, I give this a 14. Um, okay. And uh, I feel like I have like a weird attachment. And I'll, I'll keep this story super short. And not that this has anything to do with the merit of the song. This is completely a narcissistic story about myself. So I put that. But just like a cool thing I associate with the song. Um, which isn't why I like it, by the way. But just when I think of this song, I think of this like very visceral image. Um uh, when we were recording our first record in Nashville, uh, we were staying at like some house and uh, I would go on a, a run every morning before we went into the studio. And I was listening to this record a lot at that time. Um, and uh, so like where I would be on the run, I would run the same route every morning. And there was this like cemetery I would run through. And uh, right when this song started is like when I would get into the cemetery and it was just this surreal moment of like running through the cemetery and like there's that like, you know, obviously the whole outro is very repetitive and very like it just like had this weird charging thing. And I would feel myself getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And you just don't know when it's going to stop because it's got that abrupt stop. And then, you know, inevitably, like I would never be able to figure out exactly when it was going to stop and it would stop. And like you would just hear your breathing in this like cemetery. It was like it was this like cool thing that like would happen to me like all the time. Um, so I always get like taken back to that place whenever I hear that song. Um, but in general, as a song, I, I, I love it. I've always loved it. I think the, the, I think the playing on it is great. I think the Billy Preston playing yeah. is, I couldn't agree more. The Billy Preston part is definitely the highlight. They is out of the world. And I've heard some of the, some of the other, uh, like the outtakes of this with Billy Preston are, are just incredible. Um, I love the, like the harmonic vocabulary in the song. Like I love, uh, you know, just the way it develops. I love, you know, John's, you know, voice and guitar playing together. I'm embarrassed to admit this. Is that John playing guitar on this? Uh, I think I should know that. Cause I've always wondered that. Um, yeah. but just the way the, the, I think the guitar playing on this is great. And, you know, I think it's got like some cool, you know, musical elements of the time. Like, you know, there are times when it feels like kind of like a modal, like jazz jam and there are times when it feels like a, a bluesy pop song and you know and then it just goes in this whole other place and then you add the, the billy preston part at the end and i i find myself completely transfixed by the song so um you know there are times when i think john lennon can you know lose you know take me to places that you know i'm i don't follow but this is one where i go every time yeah wayne did you say your score it's a three and I'm looking at some notes on the interwebs and it says John plays lead guitar. Yeah. 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 And then this is, this is my eight and it was as high as my 13 at one point, And it just kind of kept slipping because it's really long. This is the longest song on the record. It's almost eight minutes long. And then you go completely abrupt ending like you're you're spacing it out that long and then you do an abrupt ending. I guess it's ballsy, but I don't know. It just uh I love it. 
I think I'll just say one thing about what you just said, which is that if a song can make you forget where you are, like that's a place that's harder and harder to get to. Now, I think live music does that a lot with guitar solos and jams and things like that. But it's harder to pull up on a record because you feel like people won't stay with you. Right. And, um, I mean, I, I definitely got taken somewhere the other night when I listened to this and I was just like, when it ended, I was, I kind of felt like Eric must have at the end of those runs where you're just like, Oh man, it's over. Like, where am I now? <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, I had that experience today with, um, have you guys listened to a racer land from strand of Oaks? No. no. So, so the last song on the record is, is like nine and a half minutes long. And I wanted it to be 20 minutes long. Hmm. I mean, that's that, that I think is one of those moments where, uh, that's where you know the song is magical because you don't want it to end. And for this, I wanted it to end a little earlier. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So at this point, this is where we would flip the record over. And this is here. Here comes the sun. course this is another harrison song uh this is just a masterpiece right oh absolutely yeah absolutely you guys realize john lennon doesn't appear on this song at all mm-hmm. yep. yeah and i never really focused on all of the many parts of the song i watched a video breakdown of the song where um, they were kind of showing, okay, well, here, here's where the harmony parts are coming in. Here's where the hand claps are coming in. Here's where, here's where the, 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 the Moog is coming in. Um, and my last comment that I wrote here on my notes was, how the hell was this not released as a single? Are you yeah, freaking was, kidding me? It was a, and I did see something. It was a B side on something else they released in like Japan. I, yeah, I don't know. I think because they, they weren't, you know, they weren't doing things together. They didn't, I don't know who was in control, but this is one of those songs that this is a beautiful song. And I don't know if it's the earliest use of an orchestra and a pop song, but it's at least one of the best examples of it. Um, It's just, you can, you can see, flowers blooming and i mean this like this opening of spring the whole thing is i guess he played hooky from a bunch of business meetings at apple and go hang out at eric clapton's country estate in the beginning of spring and just wrote this song about and it's it's amazing yeah Yeah. it's amazing and like 
I think the coolest part about this song is not that different than something. It's it sounds so simple, but it's so dense and there's so much happening in such a short amount of time in in a form that sounds really simple. You know, like, you know, when you think of Here Comes the Sun, you're like, oh, it's a pretty little it's a it's a pretty song. It's got that little riff. It's you know, it's a nice song. Um, but it's extremely, it's a tricky song. Like it's really tricky and it's really well written. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's an incredible song. Uh, okay. So we all agree that it's an incredible <laughs> song. <laughs> any, yeah. any other, any other notes or, uh, anything that you guys wanted to bring up on here comes the song? No, I agree. I, I can't think of anything that hasn't already been said. That, that's, that's my issue with it um you guys realize that uh even though everybody equates you know the beatles are more of a john and paul type band if you go on spotify this is easily the most listened to song of the beatles so 448 million listens for this second 294 million for come together so not even freaking close yeah it's crazy yeah Yeah, i mean transcendent is the word to describe that those numbers and the song i think yeah oh yeah Yeah. crazy all right uh this is my 15 wayne 13 tim i think 14 and then eric 15 sorry wait (laughs) i give it a 12 there you go eric 15 all right. Next song, Because. Because the sky is blue, it makes me cry. Because the sky is All right. So um, I have to start with Wayne on this one. <laughs> ah, this song creeps me out. And I know it started from that horrible movie with Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. I think Alice Cooper does a version of this in that in the movie. Oh, Star you're going to let you're going to let that movie taint this for you. <laughs> uh, this, the harpsichord is creepy in general. Uh, the whole thing just just creeps me out. I when I I, rem, I knew it was on here, and I was like, I'm just putting a one next to this one right away. And I'm we'll just, everybody else can. That's I I just don't like this song. Which just proves the point: the BGs ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, and Peter Frampton no. has never made anything better. Well, I would like to go second, if that's okay. <laughs> um, yes, I will. Uh, I will agree to disagree with you, Wayne. And I feel like we've had many, <laughs> many, many moments of agreement on this yes. podcast. I'm yes. sad about it. But, um, uh, well, I, I grew up, uh, I started singing in, in choir when I was real young. And, um, and I loved it. And I still love it. And I miss it. And I gave this song 15. All right. Um, 
which I know is high. It's like choral nerd high, but I have to own that. Uh, the harmonies in this with what I was learning Beautiful. at the time. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's got my number, this song and sun King, they have my number. And this was like a place to go. That wasn't whatever choral music I was learning at the time in high school and college and stuff. That wasn't, it was just cooler. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm sky high on this one. Uh, but mostly for personal reasons. Yeah, I'm a sucker for the harmonies as well. You guys realize that this is three-part harmonies recorded three different times to make it sound like nine different voices. Yeah. yeah. None of them Ringo Starr. <laughs> and none of them Ringo. <laughs> oh, poor poor Ringo. I'll jump in on this one. I, I mean, I think it's a beautiful song, um, but this one, I feel like for me, always, uh, it's it just coming two tracks after I Want You, I feel like it's just a little too like reminiscent of, you know, when those kind of like arpeggios start, you know, like we just did an eight minute song with that. And then, a, you know, a couple minutes later, I feel like it just like, I feel like you just, we were just in that headspace and then you came out of that headspace for here comes the sun and then you kind of go back into it. Um, so I think if I want you wasn't on there, I would rank because much higher, but I feel like just the net effect that it has on me, it's like, Oh, we've already done that, you know, a song ago or two songs ago. Um, okay. so I think for me, this song never hits quite as hard as I think it would have if it was like a standalone song. So I feel like I've always just kind of held that against it for some reason. Gotcha. Okay. Well, what yeah. was your score on this? Uh, a seven. Tim, did I get your score? I gave it a 15. And Wayne? Uh, this is my least favorite score. Boo. Okay. Uh, this is, <laughs> wow. this is, Judging. this is, That's... I, I'm totally judging you on this. I, I do it at least once an episode, right? That's fine. And you judge me plenty. So uh, this is my yeah, 12. More than once an episode. Yeah, so I know. Fine. I know. More than once an episode. All right. Uh, next song is You Never Give Me Your Money. And so now we are beginning what's called the long one, the suite of unfinished songs. Did anyone else think that maybe uh, because was like the first song of this suite? Because I always felt like um, because of the harmony parts, which um, you guys already brought up with with Sun King, um, was I always kind of felt like Sun King was a little bit of an extension of because. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I always thought that this was part of the quote unquote long one, but um, no, I'm wrong. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, you guys know what uh, John said about the B side? No. <laughs> what said? He said, "I think it's junk." <laughs> uh, you want to know what Ringo said about the the long one? He loves it. It's one of the finest things we've put together. <laughs> <laughs> Two guys not on the same page. Yeah. No, and and that almost made me like Ringo way more than John. So um, because I I love the long one. I I love side B. It is fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right, let's start with you. Never give me your money, um, Wayne. I've said this before about some records. We've talked about you know sometimes it's hard to get proper sound clips. Uh, because the songs in question are so complex, uh, that would be you never give me your money. I feel like there are a lot of different parts to this. And, um, so yeah, uh, sound clips for this episode may be a little disjointed, especially as it applies to the long one. There you go. Um, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys have to say about you never give me your money? I mean, I, I love it. It's the beginning of, of the medley. And, you know, I think this is where it feels like the album starts, you know, which, you know, I know we said they talked about flipping it, but, you know, like if we're in the van and, you know, we're driving and we're listening to Abbey Road, you know, the first part of the record, even though it probably has, you know, you know, all the great songs on the first half of it, you know, like I feel like once you get to You Never Give Me Your Money, it's kind of like everyone shuts up and like that's when it starts, you know, like, I feel like that's when you kind of go on the ride, uh, that I think Abbey road is. And, um, so yeah, I think you, you never give me your money. And I, I have one comment about this, which I'm going to save for later. Cause I don't want to give anything away, but, uh, I give this song an 11 and, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's great. It's whenever I hear this song, I'm excited. Yeah. Tim, what do you got for a score? I give it a 14 and I did the same thing with, I want you. I didn't start it as low. Um, but as soon as it came on, I was like, oh, oh, oh man, you know, like stopped what I was doing and, um, just wrote it all the way up from like eight to 14 or something. And, um, I agree with Eric. It feels like the beginning of some kind of closing statement that's never really been given in the same way before or since with this whole end of this record. And, yeah. uh, but I just love the melodies. I love the opening melody. It's, I don't, I don't need it to be a whole song. There you go. Wayne, what do you got? I agree with Ringo. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I think this is a great way to start it. Um, I know because of the title that McCartney kind of revisionist history said it was about Alan Klein, who not only ripped off them, he also got Sam Cooke and the Rolling Stones. So that guy is pretty clever. But, um, Ultimately, the lyrics have a very, when you read them, they have a very nostalgic feel of like this, of you can, and at the that last verse really does sound like uh, a group of guys uh, that have gone out on tour, or maybe, maybe not uh, thinking, remembering things as fondly where there's some of the, some of the earlier verses have a real uh, kind of going out on your own and making it kind of band of brothers stuff in it. But I, I, I like the way this starts. I've always liked the side B sweep. Yeah. All right, this is my 13. Mm, Leads us to Sun King. Here comes the sun. 
What do you guys have to say about Sun King? I probably had Sun King the highest. I don't know if I did yet. Again, with the, just the harmonies and the movement of it, it's it doesn't feel it feels classical to me. It feels um, not only from like another time period, but you know, a whole a, a distant century <laughs> away. Um, and I just I love it. I love I love all the harmonic movements in it between the voices, and I also like the pace of it a lot. I find myself writing a lot of songs that have this sort of malaise to them. And this is probably a big reason why how much I like this song and just like the idea of this, which is like, here's a watercolor painting that doesn't go fast and it's weird. And like, welcome, take a load off. It sounds nice in here. You know, I don't know. That's a good place to be for me. Did anybody interpret the, I guess it's Spanish at the end. Does it even mean anything? I guess one word isn't even Spanish. It's actually some some Liverpudlian slang. Like they just started throwing things together. The that, Chica Ferda. Yeah, I thought or it was. Whatever it I is. thought it was Italian. I didn't like the song because it, musically it sounds just like uh, "Don't Let Me Down," which I think is from the Let It Be sessions mm-hmm. that they did. Um, but I, I, I feel I didn't. I didn't get all of that from it. I, I, I didn't prefer it to other songs. In fact, there's only one song that I didn't prefer <laughs> less than. Ouch. Okay. Lennon said that they were trying to sound like Fleetwood Mac on this song. Oh, the Albatross. That's yeah. that's 1960s Fleetwood yeah. Mac. No, there's not, no Steve, not Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham in that Fleetwood no, Mac. No, no, no. This was like Peter Green era uh, Fleetwood Mac. So, no. um, All right. So you already threw out this is your deuce. Uh, this is my six. Tim, you're right. That you have the highest score out of all of us for this one. Tell us what your score is. My score is 13. And then Eric, uh, I'm in a five. Um, and again, I think this one is a little too reminiscent of. I mean, the, I, I I could never justify the "Here Comes the Sun, Here Comes the Sun King" thing. And then it kind of reminds me because, like, it always and I'm probably just reading into this, but it always struck me as like a strangely like antagonistic song. I don't know why it like felt like a response to like other songs or, um, or just purely just from a listening point of view, you know, again, like I felt like we had already been there. So I feel like this one always, um, was just never my favorite listen. Okay. All right. But a beautiful, but beautiful and the harmonies are great, but it always just like, I could just, the here comes the sun, here comes the sun thing always struck me as, strange i was never able to quite rectify that in my brain gotcha all right next song is mean mr mustard Yeah, this is a half-finished song that John said he 
started writing in India. Um, there's a demo version of this song that was recorded at George Harrison's home. It's on Anthology 3. Anybody listen to that version? I'm, I'm sure I have not in a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, that's when I got Anthology 3. I had them all, yeah. It's longer, so it's almost two minutes long as opposed to just over a minute. Um, and there are like more refrains of Mean Mr. Mustard towards the end. Um, the one, The one little nerd fact that I'll throw out here is in the in the demo version um his sister is not named pam named shirley it's shirley oh interesting so they changed it to pam so that they could segue into Holocene shirley yeah the right other thing exactly is her majesty was actually supposed to be in between mean mr mustard and polythene pam yes and on the deluxe version they they put that they insert her majesty in it and it does it sounds so strange oh wow. well after 50 years of hearing yeah. it sure. another way um yeah. but i what i love about this song is because i it, i and i don't have a problem with its unfinished and shortness because it's part of the melody and the medley i mean and that works i think so short songs and pieces kind of flowing into other ones works um, I do love how they reference Pam and tie them both together. But what I ultimately love about it is he read a, a, a headline in a newspaper about the Scotsman's meanness was legendary. And he wrote this whole, I mean, not a complete character, but he wrote enough of one that you can see this miserly old obscene, you know, man sitting in the park with his sister and, and, he just created it from one, from one sentence in a newspaper. Hmm. Well, it's not the first time that they've created no, a character. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you brought up you brought up Rocky Raccoon earlier. I mean, that's that's one. Uh, I mean, oh no, creating characters, but I mean, just I'd say I just love that how brilliant, uh, how really good songwriters can do that. They they just so the inspiration comes from somewhere, and they write this whole song that that stems out from that and fits, you know, whatever their imagination is. And I think, um, I think the shortness of it helps it. And like I say, I love how it flow. It, it, it segues right into another, the next song. I mean, at least they gave him a name instead of giving him a nowhere man title, right? <laughs> or the fool on the hill or the fool on the hill. Yeah. There you go. All right. This is my five Wayne. Seven. Tim. Six. Eric. Six. And that leads us to Polythene Pam. Looking at your score, and I'm just I'm judging you for the second time this episode. And that's fine. This is it's all about the music in this one. I think, I mean, at this time, but early '69, mid '69, this 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 is almost like punk rock. They really. Um, oh, there it, it is. That's why a, the score. It's got is. a very like almost like Kinks. You know, would be in a few years mm. 
after this. So this was mostly about the music. I love how it ties into the previous song. I love how he's created this character. I, I mean, and I think he wrote it about, it was inspired by some somebody else, but you know, she's in Jack Boots in a Kilt, which is, uh, like we said, the inspiration for the previous, the me, me, Mr. Buster was a Scotsman. So that, that all ties in together, but ultimately um, it's the music that he, that he's playing here. It's not, for 1969, it's still, I mean, it's, and for the Beatles, it's a, it's a, it's a bit aggressive. And I, I just, I've always, it's the sound of it that I've always liked. Hmm. And how he makes a 12 string acoustic sound in the, in the, in it is, I, I just can't believe he gets it to sound that aggressive. You think of folk songs with a 12 string acoustic I just can't get over the fact that you gave this a higher score than something. So, eh, you know what? And the and the fact that you gave the highest score to, you know, Timothy Leary song makes me think that you're <laughs> dropping acid for this. Score, so, <laughs> uh, you know what? People see the Beatles differently and that's I guess the beauty of the oh, Beatles. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I'll stop judging you. That's the last time I'm going to judge you now. For today, yes, okay. For 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 today. Yeah. All right, should we get some scores, or do you guys have anything to say on else to say about Polythene Pam? I gave it a two, um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I have a lot to say about it. It's uh, it's cool where it is, though. I mean, it's it's still part of a really cool idea, and you you've got to give it some credit for that. But I guess we're all saying we love this record, so I don't know, Eric. Well, it's, I'm going to, I'll start by saying I gave it a two as well, but it's funny of all the songs, even just like looking at the list as we're, as we're talking, I I found myself, I kept like looking at this song and it's definitely like, it's just so different rhythmically that like, I, I feel like I just keep hearing those guitars. Like it's like in my head as we're talking, it's like of all the songs on this list and of everything we're talking about you know, those, those jangly 12 string guitars, like we were talking about is, is the thing that I keep hearing. And admittedly I gave it a two. So it's, it's definitely not my, my favorite song on the record. Um, but it, it serves a purpose. It serves a function and there's nothing else quite like it. And, you know, it, it's funny that you say that cause I never really thought of it as ahead of its time. Cause you know, I guess, yeah, I just I never thought of it as ahead of its time, but when you think of it, you know when that song came out and you know the music that had yet to be written, like yeah, that's a that's a pretty cool that's pretty cool. And this was my three and Wayne, a uh, twelve. Okay, there you go. Next song is she "Came in Through the Bedroom Window." What? A bathroom window. Bathroom I'm bathroom. sorry. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to get a song written about you if you come in through the bedroom window. No, that's true. Or yeah. a different song. You'll get a different kind of song. Can yeah. Can you tell? So I'm looking at the notes that my 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 oldest son helps me do some production stuff, and um, so he messed this one up. Um, sorry about that. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to shut up. Wayne, go. 
Oh, this this is another one of my favorite Beatles songs, and I, I guess I I don't know what I love about it so much. I, other than much like uh, me, Mister Mustard, he took this one event where this you know this girl breaks into his 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 house in through the bathroom window, and he creates this whole narrative around it. I think the uh, the comment about the silver spoon makes her seem like because I guess it was a bunch of girls that hung out around. Apple Studios or wherever, trying to meet the Beatles. And so that I, I get this whole, you know, the rich girl climbing, in, you know, probably drunk, sucks with them and wanders the banks of her own lagoon. So she's out at the clubs all the time. So he, but he creates this whole story around that. And I just, I love the way it also, it, the, it starts. I mean, how it kind of, it, it's got this building and then it just takes off from there. Um, and I love, I've always been fascinated by the, the, the verse where he says, I, I quit the police department and got myself a steady job. I'm sure that Eric and Tim will, can attest to that being in a musician is probably not what most people would consider uh, a steady job, but, Mm -hmm. and I love the line about, um, she could steal, but she could not rob. And when you think about that, stealing is kind of sneaky and no one's watching and you take it where robbing people is is violent and on purpose like you take a gun and you rob people but you 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 try to steal things when they're not looking so there's just Paul McCartney is like I say I'm a John Lennon guy for for the lyrics typically but I thought Paul really put together this this bizarre you know he took this one incident and created this this really great song that fits really well in this medley especially with the, with where it's going what do you guys think of the lyrics of Sunday's on the phone to Monday, Tuesday's on the phone to me? I I think about the lyrics of this song a lot, you know, this particular one. And there are times when it feels like, you know, not a throwaway, but like, you know, like, like just cause it's the Beatles, like they're putting you on a little bit. And then there's times when, you know, you just think they're absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I think this is like, a, a great song for that. And I think you brought up a great, uh, you know, a lot of great examples. Um, but yeah, I think this is one of those songs that just toes the line between what feels surreal, but also, you know, just really brilliant. And like you said, like the difference between like stealing and robbing and, you know, like the, the Sundays on the phone, like, like all those things, like you just, you had, like they just get inside your head and you're just like, man, like that's, it's great. Just to add to that, I feel like so many songwriters are, you're trying to tap this well of like these personal narratives or stories that drew you in. But I also feel like, again, with these sort of accidents and things and just knowing that yesterday was scrambled eggs before it was yesterday and kind of what we were saying about Desdemona before where like these words are just falling out of your mouth, I feel like they were so comfortable with their own success that they they weren't editing that process as much. And what you end up with is these words. And some of them are really profound. If it's an accident, like that's part of the like, the magical part. I think people feel that. And I think they I I don't know this for a fact, but I would I would guess that most of the most brilliant lines on this record and in their later career were probably accidents, you know. Yeah. that they were just letting happen. You know, that's pretty cool. All right, let's get some scores on this. Eric? Uh, ten. Tim? Nine. Wayne? Uh, Sixteen. It was my second favorite song. 
flying ah. off. And I and I feel bad for my my score because I a four would kind of seem like I don't like this. I do like this song. It's just I ran out of numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing about medley, though. You got to You know, I, I feel yeah. the thing about Mister Mustard and uh, Polythene Pam. It's like, you know, I love them, but they had to. Somebody's got to be there. Yep. 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 All right. Next song, Golden Slumbers. Once there was a way. Get back homeward Once there was a way To get back home Sleep pretty darling Do not cry This week somehow I got on the 2019 mix And um it was so different to me. Did you did you guys listen to the 2019 mix yeah. of Abbey Road? That's what yeah. I listened to last night. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and there's there's a few songs that just I don't know just seems strange. But again, going back to Wayne's point of I've been listening to this record for you know 30 plus years. I'll just leave it at that. I I had to go back to the original version. Hmm. Collectively, we um. We love this song. This is our, this is our number one song yeah. on the record. Collectively. This, might be, this might be, I mean, I would be hard pressed to find a piece of music that I like more than this. This might be my, this is, you know, this is up there for me. And it's only a minute and a half long. Yeah. Yeah. I just like this song. I think gutturally this song hits me as much as any piece of music that I've ever written. And I, I can't even I can't even explain it. It's just like this Absolutely. song. Absolutely. And to yeah. me, and for me, it's always been right in that line. Once there was a way to get back home, like in and of itself, just even personally, it has a, it resonates. But just think of, I mean, you can almost hear it in his voice. This band is this his whole life. Everything he's done to this point is is shaking apart, and you can hear it in that in that in that line. And the, and the one right after it. Um, so I think the, especially just the, not only the way it sounds and, but where it is placed in this, in this medley and this record that was ultimately their, their last recordings. Yeah. It's, I think the song does what it's to everyone, what it's sort of doing to this conversation, you know, which is just like, like if if the song came on in a party, like I would find a way out of the conversation I was in. <laughs> it would probably get yeah. quiet all, all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I can't tell you how many you know van rides Tim and I have been on over the years, and you know if we're arguing or fighting or talking about something, and you know if this song comes on, it's just like an immediate just end of whatever it is you're talking about and like you know just everything gets quiet for a minute and a half or whatever it is it's just like it's this song like just sucks the air out of the room for me you know one thought is you know we're being sung to by paul mccartney who's like this godlike figure whether he wants to be or not and he's singing to you as a like an all-knowing father almost 
and it it does sort of transform me into feeling like a like a child again and you you really that's a really nice feeling to get and not, you're not usually giving yourself permission to feel like that and there's very few people who could sing any words to you let alone these words with these melodies they could even you would allow yourself to let those feelings happen to because it wouldn't make sense unless Paul McCartney was singing this song mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to, to be like reduced to a child like this. I don't know. Yeah, this, <clears throat> I think my higher score comes from the fact that I'm just echoing what you guys are saying of this emotion in the vocals to me is reminiscent of day in the life, which like that's one of those songs for me that I, I call them my driveway songs. If I pull in the driveway and it's and it's going on the stereo, I'm not getting out of my car until it's done. Yep. And 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 part of that is because the the vocals are so emotive and so pulling at the heartstring, and he channels that for for this song as well which I think is the reason why all of us have this as such a high score, even though it's a minute and a half long, you know? Yeah. It's also a shame that like, when you think about the phases that you never give me your money goes through, um, I wish that gold, just for the sake of this exercise, I wish that carry that weight was just the bumper of golden slumbers. And it was the same song. <laughs> you know yeah yeah all right this is my 14 wayne this is my 15 tim 17 top score eric 17 all right there you go the alternate roots agree on something <laughs> we actually agree on a couple of these yeah yeah that's cool yeah all right we don't, we don't agree on much is actually the point of it. <laughs> this, this is very, very rare. <laughs> That's changing. That's changing, actually. Yeah. 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 So car- Carry That Weight is the, the next song. It- You know, Tim, to your point, I, I feel like, yeah, it, it definitely segues from from the, from the previous song. Um, what do you guys have to say about Carry, it, carry That Weight? I mean, I associate it with Golden Slumbers. You know, I know, too. It's, it, I know technically they're not the same. And the discrepancy in my score between Golden Slumbers, which obviously I gave a 17, and Carry That Weight, I gave a 9 to. Um, but that was just more of a technicality of like, needing to give it a number and being out of numbers. Um, but I, I mean, I associate those two as like one entity, you know, I, I do feel like they're, you know, they're definitely siblings and, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, they're, they're reliant on each other. Yeah. Anybody else have anything? 
I I like the way it calls talking uh, talking about this after <laughs> we just gushed all over Golden Slummers. It's just kind. Of, I, I think know. it's a great bridge. I mean, to the it's a great bridge from Golden Slumbers to the next song, which I think is in super important. Um, and I, I like like I say the way they reference the beginning of the medley with when they have that that section that where they repeat uh, "You never give me your money." I just it just creates a bridge into this last piece that I think is extremely important. Yeah, yeah. All right, we get I, some I gave it a four. Oh, sorry, okay. I, I gave it a four. Okay, I, I gave it a six. Eric, uh, I give it a nine. Yeah, I don't think four was a good score by me, but again. <laughs> If it's part of Golden Slumbers, Golden Slumbers is still my favorite song on the record, which says a lot about Carry That Weight, actually. So, yeah. And this is my 10, which then leads us to the end. Wayne, lead us, lead our discussion on this. Um, wow, Ringo lets loose. Um, that just this, and I, I guess what I love about it is, is the what it should have been because this should have been the last song on the last record that they recorded. And I, I love the way they broke it up. This first part is this real old time rock and roll. Um, the guitars. Um, almost have a twisted shout kind of feel about it. So it's playing this, the beginning of their career or their, you know, their, their rise to fame and how they became the Beatles and were the Beatles. And then it, it just drops off into this thing and just, you know, and then that line about, you know, the love you in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And this is the band that said, all you need is love. And then it's over or it should be. I I can't listen to that part without thinking of Chris Farley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he when he's like uh, interviewing Paul and he asks, um, "Do you remember that? Is is that true?" <laughs> so good. Oh my goodness! Oh, brings us a smile. I think if I'm being if I'm being completely honest uh, about the end, you know, I give him a lot of credit for like attempting it. Like it's a bold move to like write a song about, you know, the end of being a band, you know, like especially a band as big as the Beatles. And, you know, obviously there was another album to come after it, but like, you know, for all intents and purposes, like this was the thing they were, they were writing to be the end and to try to like, you know, like, you know, record that or to, to notate that or document that I should say. Um, like that's a bold move, but it's also hard to do. And, you know, if you think of anything, like whether it's a TV show or, you know, something like finales are just are difficult things to, 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 to do. And, you know, um, so I think it's admirable and, you know, I think it's, it's really cool and they did a good job with it. Um, you know, 
for what it is, but like, I just think the concept of what it is, is, is not an easy thing to do. You know, the thing that they did though, you know, imagine if they had written a seven minute song about their whole career and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's pretty cool what they did do. They were like, you know, sing song, band, dance, everyone have a good time. And then this is like really beautiful, profound, harmonic experience at the end. And, and lyrical. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and with this, like a whole bunch of noise in the middle, not to, not to say it's noise, it's cool music, but if that might've been their experience or at least whoever is really writing this and sticking up for it, like, Maybe that's what it was like to be in a beetle. That <laughs> no, knowing knowing that they had you know their their issues uh, towards the end. Wayne, to your point of the last lyric, do you think Paul was taking a little bit of a a swipe at at John with that, or do you think that they were? That they were trying to wax philosophical and say, you know, love is all you need. Like I say, I mean, love is all you need. It goes, I mean, love me do. There's ever, there was lots of songs that, that ended with, uh, that included love. And mm-hmm. both, but even more than that, that's basically what their songs were about. I want to hold your hand, strawberry fields forever. All of it was, you know, most of the songs in a, in a way was about love. So for that to be their, their closing statement, I thought was uh, just, uh, brilliant. It was, that's, that's the way, I mean, if you're going to write your own ending, you should, you should do it like that. There you go. All right. This, this is my 11 Wayne. A 14. Eric. An eight. And then Tim. A three. But this, this suffered from. You ran out of numbers. I did a little bit. Yeah. No, I get it. All right. And then last but not least, little hidden track, Her Majesty. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Oh, yeah. Wayne, you already brought up the fact that this was originally going to be spliced between Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam. Um, This is kind of an interesting story. The second engineer, John Kurlander, he had always been told not to throw out anything. And so McCartney, I guess, had recorded this. It's only like 20 seconds long. Uh, Kurlander attached the track to the end of the master tape after 20 seconds of silence. And they liked the effect so much that they decided to include it on the album. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Not much to say about this song though. Right. I love the way it sounds. Yeah. I love, I love how burnt and, um, and familiar and close it sounds. I mean, it's, it reminds me of yesterday a little bit. If you could, there was a plug-in to make an acoustic guitar sound like that. They haven't, I don't know anything about plugins, but like, you know, that's the one I would buy. And this moment, I love it. I love that sonic place 
so simple, but it's like, I don't know if anybody else could do it besides the Beatles for some reason with George <laughs> Martin. So I really like this one. I was just going to ask, do you think that there's any artist out there who is ballsy enough to go, I'm going to take this 20 second clip and I'm going, I'm going to actually write the rest of the song. No, the, the, the silence is deafening when you get, <laughs> no, no, I would say no, there's no one that would. Yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe there is, I'm saying I wouldn't, I guess. But it's Maybe. also like it's done. It's it's a, it it does start and finish. It it ends. You know, yeah. someday I'm gonna make her mine. Whatever. It's you know. I guess Wayne, there's punk songs that are shorter than this, right? Oh, I suppose. Like I can say my score because I don't have anything bad to say about it. Um, other than I think it, <laughs> I think it ruined what I thought was a very uh, go out on your own terms. You know, kind of. Yeah, beautiful, write-your-own-ending, poetic. Well, do you have the CD for sunset. this? I do have the CD. Then stop at 16. Don't go to 17. There you go. Oh. Problem solved. <laughs> uh, turn, turn it up to 11. If they, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I, I still, that's my only complaint, is that I thought they, they wrote this beautiful way out, and then they, and then some, and then, of course, at this point, once again, I, I was got it, I, I think apathy has set in, and somebody goes, oh, yeah, the engineer added that Her Majesty song to the end of it, at, and he's like, "Yeah, go ahead, just leave it yeah. in." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I always think like the net effect of that is like, you know, as you said, there's this big cathartic ending, and like they attempted this, you know, you know, to to write their own ending, and they did it, and it was it was it was pretty epic, and um, but it was almost like you know like we can just keep doing this all day you know like there's no like there's there, there there's no end to this part of it like like the 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 music part of it you know i don't know that that's always the effect i got from that it's like you know paul was just like i i can do this all day guys <laughs> the well the well runs deep yeah absolutely yeah but they did it though i mean i think the part of not caring is so important it's so important to throw it, to throw it away, you know. I don't know why Her Majesty is the last song on Abbey Road. It sounds like the Beatles don't really know why either, but it ended up there because, you know, nobody was um, put the thing in a chokehold all the way. It's almost like they were trying to outdo each other <laughs> by not caring about things that they they know they all knew they should care about. But it's like I'm so checked out. It's like yeah, put Her Her Majesty on last. Any objections? And nobody raises their hand because the guy who raises their hand is like the is like the grumpy old man in the room. Like, yeah, of course, of course, we can't do it because <laughs> get off my lawn. You're, you're such a lifeguard for our, for this band is so important to you. And then away goes the the argument. So it's it's I don't know. It's it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores and wrap this up. This is my two Wayne. Four. Tim. Five. And then Eric. Four. All right. Any parting shots before we look at our cumulative scores and come up with our top five? Any parting shots on Abbey Road? No. No. Just. uh, This is. Yeah. This is usually where I ask the guests. Did we. Did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? And this is the one episode where I can categorically say, I'm pretty sure we didn't 
cover everything and we miss some stuff. And that's the beauty of this album is that it, I've listened to this, this record for 35 years and it still keeps on giving for me. That's the Mm. beauty of Abbey road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Any guesses what our number one song is? Golden Slumbers. Golden Slumbers. Golden yeah. Slumbers. Yep. Number two. Something. Something. Yep. Uh, Here Comes the Sun is our third. Uh, and rounding out our top five, Come Together. That was fourth. And You Never Give Me Your Money is fifth. And I will just say that there were a couple close scores just outside of the top 10. So, oh, darling, just missed out of the top 10 or our top five, excuse me. And then um, I'll get it. I'll get it right this time, Wayne. She came in through the (laughs) bathroom window, uh, barely missed out as well. So there you go. I'm I'm really happy with that breakdown. I think that's that feels good to me. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I like I like that top five, even though my oh darling missed out. But um, I, I can I can live with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I had you on oh darling. I had your back. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You got it. Uh, all right. Um, this was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for your patience. And uh, yeah, Ness, I know we're hard to wrangle up. Uh, but uh, we appreciate the persistence, and uh, thanks for letting us talk about uh, one of our favorite records. Absolutely. We did it. We did it. We did it. I will say, I'm really grateful that you guys do are doing this, and I'm really grateful that I got to take part in it because it was a really, really enjoyable exercise. It was so much fun, and um, just you know, been spending a lot of time at the house with the family, which actually, you know, it's been amazing. Um, but this has been some time I got to take out for myself. Um, and it was really, really nice, including this podcast, like just to sit around with some fellas and talk about Abbey road. It's like, Oh boy, I was ripe for something like this. So, <laughs> awesome. That's the cure for the quarantine, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, so tomorrow at the same time we'll do a uh, rubber soul. There you go. Yeah, or revolver. <laughs> or revolver. I'm down for that. There um, you go. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. We really appreciate. Oh, thank you. It. A- absolutely. So, um, so we we got connected with you all because we threw out the referral question of Scott Terry. So I'll throw out the referral question of who do you know that I don't know who'd want to join us on this podcast or revisit one of their favorite records. Ooh, good question. Oh, I think I think I got it. Tim, you want to yeah. go? No, you say it. Um. Uh. Well, I'll say one, and then Tim says one. Okay. Or what? Uh. I'm gonna say uh our buddy David Bournet. I think would be fun for this. I was gonna say the same thing. We got the same T-shirt on. And <laughs> yeah, we are in sync. We're in sync tonight. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. David's a great dude, super thoughtful, and uh, he'll probably pick a really cool record. He's got the best taste of any of my friends. Let's do uh, it. Yeah. All right. Hey, well, 
we'll 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 chat offline. We got to keep this referral trail going. So this referral trail started what a year ago, and uh, it's garnered us some some really cool guests. So we're we're appreciative of everybody who comes on our podcast. So so thank you all. All right, let's do the outro. Uh, this is really long, so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip to the chase here on on the outro. All right, you guys <laughs> yeah. you guys ready for this? All right. I'm ready. All right. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. This is where I usually say go to a live show, but you know, there's plenty of other options out there. Go to a Facebook live, go to a YouTube live, go to an Instagram live, check out some of your favorite musicians and then donate. Buy a t-shirt of the band, um, especially some swag that says A-R-W-B because apparently they need to get rid of some merch. Um, Pricing, man. Surplus pricing over here. There you go. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. All right. So here's the outro. We are Records Revisited and we are out. Out. Out.